I think a materialist approach to things is very, very consistent with uh, my experience in Christian social justice. I feel like the, the deeper I get into anarchist practice, the deeper my faith is getting at the same time. I would hope that you know, securing means of life for all would be something all people of faith would say, oh yes, that's at the basis of what we believe. Those who are most marginalized know the most about the truth, good and the beautiful. To me, it's less that I think building class solidarity is a bad thing, as much as it seems like if you don't attend to things like anti-black racism, um, that's always going to get in the way of building class solidarity, actually. And when you go back, you find that a lot of uh, revolutionary grassroots participatory movements, the, the precursors to what you could call um, the barrio assemblies and these like, you know, grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church. What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? Um, you're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to the Magnificast, the podcast usually about Christianity and leftist politics, and still a little bit this time around. Uh, I'm Dean Detloff. And I'm Matt Bernico. And this week we're talking with Andrew Choi, a musician who also performs under the name St. Lennox, S-T-L-E-N-O-X. We're chatting with Andrew about a new album that he has coming out this summer, and it plays with all kinds of really interesting themes related to Christianity and other religious traditions and the left here and there and science. And uh, man, I listened to it at dinner time today. I've been listening to it for the last few weeks. Uh, It's really nice, Um, really interesting stuff and uh, a neat little departure, I think, from what we usually do on the show. Yeah, the album is called 10 Songs of Worship and Praise for Our Tumultuous Times. And I got to tell you, folks, these times, they've been tumultuous. And this album, <laughs> well, it doesn't change the times. It's still it's t- it's still tumultuous, but it's a good album just the same to listen to. Something that I really like about the album is that there's this theme that kind of runs throughout it about uh, about sort of the commonplaceness of, of things that might be miraculous or might be religious. And, I, man, I love that kind of stuff. So... Uh, it's a great album. You're going to love it. Uh, stick around and listen to Andrew talk to us about it. All right, let's go to the interview. Today in the show, we have Andrew Choi from the band St. Lennox. Uh, Andrew, welcome to the show. Whenever we have someone new on the podcast, we just ask them to give a quick introduction of themselves and their project. So would you mind giving us a, a little bit about yourself and your music? I'm Andrew Choi. Um, I perform under the name St. Lennox. Um, I've been a singer-songwriter for about 10 years, um, but I've been a musician in some form or another for mo- most of my life, actually. Um, I used to be a concert violinist uh, many years uh, growing up, um, and I guess at one point, I guess when I went to college, um, I, <laughs> I started pursuing philosophy for many years, uh, where I was intending at one point to become a philosophy professor, uh, but the job market sort of got the best of me. Uh, I got my PhD, but then quit and then became an attorney instead, uh, but, you know, sort of being an attorney, I've, I've kept up music uh, in the meantime, um, I guess, in the form of being a singer-songwriter. Uh, you know, it gives me something else to do, which is not uh, an office job, which is 
uh, nice. Uh, but uh, the the name uh, Saint Lennox, um, it's 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 really sort of an accidental name. Um, it's a, a kind of misreading of a, a subway terminal, 148th Street Lennox Terminal. Um, and I guess when when the name came to me, it it really was you know because I had accidentally read the word Saint Lennox into the uh, the subway sign. And so it, it really kind of struck me as sort of an interesting uh, metaphor for sort of reading, reading something of significance into kind of mundane, uh, mundane things. That's so cool to hear you explain it. And it makes sense, I think, after having listened to your music uh, for the last few weeks, especially a lot of really neat uh, things that you do, neat themes that you uh, pull together in your, uh, your album seem to play with that sacred and profane uh, mishmash really well. Um, you have a new album, uh, 10 songs of worship and praise for our tumultuous times. It seems like something everybody needs. Uh, it plays with a lot of religious themes. Um, we want to draw out a bunch of stuff in the album, but maybe just to get started, it'd be nice to hear you talk about it a little bit. Uh, what brought you to write uh, an album like this one? Oh, uh, well, I, I think when I started, uh, writing music, um, you know, I, I have a lot of like little writing projects in my head that are constantly going on. And I, I think I had this, I had this thought that, you know, I, th there's a, there, there's a certain reputation that um, modern pop rock uh, Christian praise music has. And so I was, I was thinking about, you know, what, what would, <laughs> it's going to sound very me. I don't mean it in this way, but what, what would it be to write something like praise music in a modern pop context, uh, but is maybe something that sounds um, good. <laughs> but it's just, I mean, it, it's something that that certainly appeals to many people, but it also doesn't appeal to many people. In fact, it has the opposite effect. Um, and you know, I've I've heard I've heard a fair bit of uh, modern pop praise music in my time. I've driven frequently um, from the East Coast to the Midwest to, to visit my parents and you know, just drive, driving through the Midwest in general, you're, you're just, you're just going to run into uh, modern pop praise music um, in general. Anyway, I, I was just thinking about sort of trying to, trying to just shake up or sort of rethink what that sounds like. Um, and you know, I wrote a number of songs. I think a few of a few of the ones that I initially wrote ended up um, on the album. But I, I think what ended up is still something that it it isn't exactly praise music, at least not in like the the traditional sense. But I think it still retains a lot of the spirit of uh, of praise music. Um, in any case, or at least that's that's what my intention is. Uh, and then after I'd written written a number of tracks that went off in this direction that I found sort of very interesting, and uh, I you know I just sort of filled out the album, sort of took that trajectory and, and ran with it, and tried to sort of fill out a, a full album's worth of music that I think fit into that 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 category. I think it's a really interesting way to put it, uh, praise album, but not really a praise album. Um, I think that actually really fits, uh, having listened to it all a few a few times. Well, that that's good. I'm 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 glad because <laughs> I, I I was gonna say as as somebody who 
isn't very much involved in the church or Christianity in general, the idea of <laughs> the idea of writing something sort of that was Christian oriented or, or religious oriented, I think there's a natural insecurity that I have with the record, sort of like, you know, giving it to somebody, so you're religious, can you listen to this? What, what, <laughs> what do you think about it? So I'm, I'm glad that it, it, it came off that way. You know, I, I don't know the last time I have actually listened to like a Christian uh, like pop praise band um, in any way other than very ironically or something. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's probably it's been a pretty long time, uh, but I think yours, uh, your album is, is really fascinating because it does. Um, hmm, it's uh, it's not musically it's not musically similar, though. There are some similarities with your use of like this, like very interesting organ kind of noise and some other synths and stuff. But something that does uh, that does stick out to me as really interestingly religious about the album is the the narratives of like very serious moments in people's lives throughout. Mm. Um, and uh, more than one um, more than one song on the album is about a funeral, even, and I think that's quite profound, actually. Um, you know, you're right, writing music that is religious in in a sort of way of thinking uh, about um, about moments in life that I think a lot of people wouldn't write a praise song about, right? There's not a lot of praise songs out there for funerals specifically. I don't know, like, do, what do you think is going on there? Like, what's, um, was any of that kind of going through your head as you were writing it? Or is that just kind of all happenstance? Oh, I mean, like, uh, I mean, a lot of that stuff was going through my head. I mean, a, a lot of the writing that I do, it does, it, it is, um, you know, I take some artistic license, but it is all autobiographical. Um, and so, you know, w whenever I'm writing about any, you know, like serious moments or or uh, moments of a lot of stress, I'm right. I'm, you know, you're, you're supposed to write what you know. So I, I try and write from that perspective. Um, I mean, and especially sort of trying to write religious music. I think you, at least I, I want to write something that I'm speaking honestly from my perspective because um, I, I think it has more meaning for other other people that way. Um, but yeah, no, so, so like uh, the, uh, it, it actually wasn't until you said it that I realized that there were, <laughs> there are a lot of funerals in, in the record, <laughs> which is, uh, I, I, I hadn't thought about that much. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, in the, in, in the track Deliverance, which is uh, the opening track, uh, I mean, the, the genesis of that song is that I, I had um, a coworker who died very suddenly uh, before I was going to go on um, uh, my honeymoon with my my husband, and so be because we were on our honeymoon, we couldn't attend the funeral. Um, and then I I guess coincidentally, um, I had you know several other funerals that I was going to that year. And I I guess for context here, I I basically I basically had never been to a funeral before. <laughs> it was just stuck in this situation where I was suddenly going to a lot of funerals. Um, and it, it was interesting for me because I, I hadn't really been in a general church context um, in quite some time. Um, and so it was kind of by coincidence, by going to funerals that I was suddenly put in a more religious context, which wasn't something that I was used to, but it did get me thinking a lot about, you know, you know, we were doing uh, religious rituals and, 
you know, singing and praying. And um, it did get me to think a lot about, you know, what, what I was, why I had left, um, or if, if I had left, I, I still don't really know what to think about that. Uh, or if I was going to come back, uh, what would that look like? You know, why am I, why would I want to come back? Um, and just sort of thinking about that, that type of situation. Yeah, I'm glad that you bring up the song Deliverance. Um, well, let's take that as a, as a nice segue into playing a clip of the song. Jesse is said the winter usually sticks around Even if the groundhog doesn't see a shadow Pucks a tiny folk tables bullshit, you know Well, that's what I've always thought about religion Lately, I can just feel the entropy After you reach an unexpected passing Thinking about that existential dip rash I've been really thinking about deliverance now Yes, here I must confess to you something Secret just between you and I Till now I've been lucky in life to never have someone close to me ever die. But now that I'm 40 and in the middle of my life, talking about stuff like taxes and inheritance, serious subjects for a French attorney, unschooled in the heavy poetry of religion. I still remember the verbs from the Bible to recite for you at your funeral today. We paid for you know, you said, uh, you don't know if you are back or want to come back or whatever it might be. Um, I think uh, a lot of people are kind of uh, dealing with that similar issue. Um, you know, in the last uh, maybe couple of decades, especially, but more particularly even the last just four years or so, let's say, um, maybe you could talk a little bit more about that. I, maybe this, hopefully this isn't too personal, but, you know, you you, you mentioned having uh, some kind of religious background, but you've also said you're not a religious person yourself, and yet the album is kind of full of all these religious themes um, what is your history with, uh, that religious past? What's maybe drawing you back in? What drove you out? Um, what's your, uh, your relationship to that now? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the thing is, is that probably, probably because I, I spent, I spent seven years as a, as a philosophy graduate student, um, that, you know, you, you take any interesting concept and sort of you know, as a philosopher, you just poke it to death until it just becomes meaningless, and I, and I and I guess that's sort of the the, the position that I I ended up after um, after uh, the the stint as a philosopher. But um, I mean, I I think that there are a lot of things that that turned me off. That it's it's not going to be just one thing. But you know, I I think there were a lot of racial and cultural things. Um, you know, not necessarily that like anybody that I had run into in the church was, you know, a complete and terrible racist, it's nothing like that. But, you know, the, growing up as, as a Korean American in the United States, like if you grow up in a religious context, and I'm, if you talk to um, other Korean Americans, they, I'm pretty sure they will tell you the same thing. Uh, you kind of grow up having two churches, or at least we had two churches. I, I had the Korean church that I went to, and then I had, for for lack of a better word, sort of the, the, the white church that I went to. Uh, and so there's already something that's a little bit um, disorienting about sort of being religious as 
uh, as a Korean American growing up um, in the United States. Um, and I think I think beyond that, something that recording the record made me think a lot about. Um, but there, there was this point. So you can probably help fill in some of the gaps here. Uh, when I was growing up in the church, there was a certain point, I think around middle school, where a lot of the kids went off into this kind of like more formal religious education that they did. What It was like a mm -hmm. continuation of Sunday school, but like, you know, the middle school and high school students started doing this separate track of like religious education that they were doing. Do you know what that is? Yeah, like confirmation. Yeah, that's what it's called. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was trying to remember the name of it. So <laughs> um, I remember, you know, uh, being in high school and I knew that there were other kids that were in the confirmation group and I wasn't in that group. I don't, I don't know why. Uh, I don't think anybody really asked me to be in the confirmation group. Um, I, you know, I wasn't like raring to, to get into the confirmation group either, but I knew that they existed there. Some of them were like friends of mine in high school. Uh, I think one person, I think we actually went to junior prom together. So like I, I knew, I knew many of these people, but for some reason I wasn't in the group and I was still very much involved in the church. Uh, I was, you know, playing the violin, you know, for services. I was going to service every Sunday. Um, I helped to teach Sunday school. Um, and, you know, I was involved in, you know, when you, um, uh, what, what's the communion, communion, you know, you've got the wine cups and you've got the bread, you know, I was helping to fill the wine cups before service. And then afterwards, uh, taking the, the emptied wine cups to the kitchen to have them washed and dried and then sort of returned back. And there was this one moment, I'm, I'm still, I'm still confused about like what, what happened or what it meant, but I was, I was taking the wine glasses to the kitchen, you know, washing them, putting through the, the washer, putting through the dryer, then taking the, the wine glasses back to be put in like the, the place where we stored them uh, in between services. And lo and behold, this one time I was going through, you know, one of the main halls and I see all of my friends uh, in the, the confirmation class and they're celebrating a high school graduation. And they look at me and I look at them and I was like, what are you guys doing? And, you know, they were celebrating graduation of all the people that had been through like the confirmation class and there was this moment where they 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 suddenly felt super bad they were like oh that's right you're you're graduating high school as well you know come sit with us and we'll have you know we'll hang out and you know i had some some food there were like some extra graduation presents that they that they gave me and uh and uh you know, it, it was fine. It wasn't like traumatic or anything, but I was sitting there and I'm sure that they were also sitting there as well, sort of thinking, what the, what the hell happened that this person who is our, you know, is growing up with us that we know sort of went through this church experience with us, but somehow, <laughs> somehow got completely cut off. And if it, if it weren't for that situation, I don't think it would have become a, it, it would have become as obvious, but 
um, it did become very obvious that there was, you know, there was like a cultural gap of some sort that had ended up with that insane result. Um, and I, I mean, I'm not saying that that's what caused me to leave uh, the church, but I think it really illustrated the the disconnect that was happening there. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think back about it and I think a lot of it was, it's related to race and culture and in some sense, because, you know, as, as the child of immigrants, you know, I had instilled in me very much the idea that, you know, I was going to try and get into an Ivy league school. I was going to leave Iowa. I was going to do all these things afterwards, you know, who knows? Um, and I, I'm sure that, in fact, I know for a fact that some of my church, fellow people, what do you, what do you call them? Church fellow people that they, they had in the cards for themselves that they were going to stay in Iowa and sort of do different things that were definitely not what I was doing. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's very natural, but at, at the same time, and I guess this, this makes me think about sort of what, what the church is doing, whatever unifying force the church had, it definitely wasn't enough to close that gap that had definitely opened up um, over the years between us. It's such a great image uh, of you doing all of that, you know, the the work of cleaning up after <laughs> communion and like whatever, you know, like you're, you're doing, you're, you're materially, materially doing it all. And then your friends are just kind of standing off, uh, actually kind of participating. I love that. Yeah. It's really fun. It was, it was so weird because what one of the people that was there was my date for the prom. <laughs> and it, it, yeah, it was, it was just very strange. Um, yeah, um, I, I can appreciate that that type of alienation, though. That's really interesting uh, and pretty relatable, I think, as well. <laughs> you know, that actually makes me think um, one of the lyrics in uh, one of the lyrics that really sticks out on your album is comes from a, a song called Gospel of Hope, which I think is probably one of my favorites. Uh, yeah. The lyric is, you know, I'm not a religious man, but I can understand religion. And maybe that's actually really highlighted pretty well by the story. Right. You're uh, you're not. You're not a part of the in group at church, but at the same time, you you know exactly you know what's going on with religion. You're you're the guy washing the cups. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think that this speaks to maybe more than just your experience too. I, you know, we Dean and I we do this podcast, and we hear from a lot of people who are um, you know they're either religious people or they're people who have been uh, you know alienated or pushed away from uh, you know religion in one way or another. Um, and you know, now they're getting older and they're finding ways to come to, come to terms with that religious background. So I, I guess, uh, as, as not a religious man, as, as the guy who is washing the communion cups, uh, how do you understand, uh, religion? What, what do those lyrics mean for you? Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, I, again, I guess as the philosopher, I just have no, I have no clue what religion means. <laughs> I mean, but that that's kind of like with, with any any abstract concept uh, that I, I'm really just confounded with what that means. I mean, in, in the song, I mean, and I think throughout the record, but on that song, especially, I, I think I'm really trying to, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to understand religion. But at the same time, I guess, maybe as a part of that journey, I'm trying to think very expansively about what uh, what religious experience could be. Um, and so that that song, at least for me, was a lot about thinking about what miracles are and um, 
you know, I, I have I have a number of situations, at least in my past, that I I know people who uh, who experience with miracles has been something that has driven them to become religious, and so that that served as kind of an entryway for thinking about uh, maybe thinking about how how I might how I could be religious, um, for lack of a better word. So, like the first the first stanza sort of deals with. Uh, my parents, some of this is kind of imagined because I, I don't know, you know, what my parents' complete experience was, but I know that, you know, during the Korean War, there was a point which they, the, 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 is the, the U.S. forces, so the, the U.N. forces, you know, thought that the, the North Korean and uh, uh, communist forces had driven the, the troops down pretty far south, and there was this maneuver that MacArthur had pulled that sort of dramatically reversed the the trajectory of the war, and sort of thinking about that that event as kind of a miraculous event. And so I was thinking about that and as as being at least one factor that played a role in why my my dad is a religious person. And in the third stanza, um, in particular, I you know after the Korean War, um, my 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 mom got tuberculosis, or so I, I guess what they they sometimes call consumption, and uh, it, it was very common in Korea. In fact, there there's studies about sort of how tuberculosis has sort of continued on in sort of various ways in the population there. Uh, but she had gotten tuberculosis, and many people who get tuberculosis end up dying. And so there was a point at which uh, you know that it wasn't clear what was going to happen, uh, but for some reason, we we don't know. She got, got better, and on top of that, the thing that she notes is that uh, her lungs there's usually like scar tissue that forms as a result of uh, sort of going through tuberculosis, and she did not have any scar tissue on her lungs. And to this day, she she declares that as being a kind of miraculous experience that is you know definitely a part of her her religious life. Uh, now and so you know, I was thinking about those experiences as things that are connected to me about ways that I can, you know, whether I'm religious or not, I can understand that as being a way in which uh, I can have some affinity with that and understand what religion might mean to other people. And then the you know the other two stanzas are, are just sort of thinking more expansively about you know the the idea of miracles and miraculous experience. So maybe you know the the poetry of the Bible is something that is you know is very beautiful. Like maybe maybe that's kind of miracle, and you know maybe maybe the beauty of nature is a, a kind of uh, miraculous experience that can uh, give people some acquaintance with uh, with religion. Um, I don't know, but it it, do, it doesn't sound insane to me. As a philosopher, you know, I I I, I it's hard for me to say. You know, no, that's not a religious experience. I mean, I don't know what a religious experience is, uh, anyway. But um, that—that's what I was thinking about with that track. Yeah, you know, I think that's really interesting. Um, there's a sort of in a similar vein. There's a a poet that we like to talk about a lot on this podcast. Uh, his name is Ernesto Cardinal. He was a uh, a priest in Nicaragua until he joined the Nicaraguan Revolution. Which is a really fascinating thing. Anyways, oh. he uh, he has a really a really similar idea about um, 
Yeah, about the miraculous. Uh, he, he for, in his poetry, he kind of expresses it in the same sense that like it, it's amazing that we were. It, it's miraculous that they were able they were able to overthrow a tyrant and like <laughs> kind of have this like liberative experience, right? Uh, so it's yeah. this uh, sense of mapping on the miraculous onto um, you know places that might seem mundane to other people or might seem very you know or or even like sacrilegious to say like in politics or something but yeah i mean a, a similar thrust maybe yeah no that's interesting well uh kind of staying on these uh these places where religion comes up in in your songwriting um but switching gears perhaps a little bit there's a video that you just put out uh for a track called arthur is at shiva and the song itself is yeah another another song about a funeral um, but the, the video that goes along with it is also sort of a mashup of, um, religious symbols and, uh, ideas. So the, in the video, there's a, a, a recipe for something that you call the great fractal challah. And the recipe, as you call it, is a, a multicultural bread that puts together a Jewish challah bread and Asian milk bread. Um, tell us a little bit about that video and, uh, what's going on there. Um, what's going on with the great fractal challah? Well, I, I mean, I, I think um, like the, the 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 basic narrative of the the underlying song is it's it's kind of a, a an accidental confrontation with uh, with religion in this case at least in the first stanzas Judaism, um, and I, I think the the video was meant to kind of play off that. Except, I guess with the video, I mean, it is the video is. I guess in many ways, also about a kind of incidental sort of confrontation with Judaism. I, in this case, sort of, you know, af after I met my husband, I would visit his parents and uh, um, and have meals and, you know, celebrate Passover and Hanukkah and, you know, say blessings at the table and, you know, th that was, especially Judaism, that was something that I had never really participated in or got gotten involved in. And so it was kind of a, a way in which I kind of accidentally was confronted with um, this new experience or this new way of interacting with uh, with religion. Um, but anyway, so his, his uh, uh, during the pandemic, uh, we ended up staying with his uh, with with his brother, my brother-in-law, his brother. Uh, and his family, and you know, we were we were doing a lot of cooking at home for obvious reasons, uh, and they were baking uh, bread, so baking challah, and I started to get involved, um, and eventually started to bake bread myself. And I will I will say, like I used to cook all the time. I love cooking, but bread is something that had always been somewhat intimidating for me because. I don't like being super exact and I like to taste things as I'm going along to help me, you know, determine what tastes good. And you, you can't really, you can't really do that with bread. You kind of have to like follow instructions and whatnot. Uh, but it was interesting because, you know, there, there is a, a process for baking challah, you know, there's not just the recipe, but there, there's, you know, a, a part where you take part of the dough and like, I think you like you burn it. So the, there's there's a lot of you know religious significance involved in, in making the challah and I guess the thought was that you know I learned how to bake bread I learned how to bake challah and I of course wasn't going to be staying with 
you know, my brother-in-law forever, um, I would eventually go home. And I guess the thought was, you know, what, what do I do with this, this tradition and this ritual that I have become involved with? Is it something that I, you know, continue on like in the exact form that I had uh, or that, that I perceived it? Um, is it something that I kind of like take and make my own? Is it something where if I don't change it, I'll leave it as it is. Is it something that I can really call my tradition? Or, you know, if it's something that I want to pass on to somebody, do I have to change the tradition in some way for me to be able to pass it on? Let's say if I, if I have kids and I, I think I, I settle on sort of this idea that I would, I would, you know, in order for it to be my tradition, you know, it's still going to be something that kind of respects where it came from, but I would sort of at least put some of myself, um, my thoughts and ideas into making the bread. And I guess that's, um, that's, that's where it ended up. Um, and I, I guess what, what it reminded me of, uh, so for, for Passover, you've got like the Seder plate. I'm sure I'm butchering this, in which case <laughs> somebody can correct me. But you, you're you're at Passover. You've got the Seder plate, and there was this um, there was this comment that apparently somebody had made, which is that um, lesbianism in Judaism um, would be something like having an orange on the Seder plate. Like the the idea being that like it's something that doesn't belong or seems uh, out of place. Mm. Um, but what happened is that there are now sort of many Jewish families that. Um, that now have an orange as being a part of the Seder plate. It's in fact part of the tradition that they now have. And sort of having gone through that experience and seeing in this case that, you know, my uh, new uh, extended family were celebrating Passover, in this case, including the orange and the Seder plate, sort of acknowledging sort of my, my husband's and, and my marriage, um, sort of thinking about it in that way, it, it made me think, oh, you know, like this, this, this feels like something that I can do, that I can sort of think about putting my own self into this this bread recipe now, and then maybe it's something that I can pass on to my kids, or you know. Anyway, that that's that's at least one thing that that the video is about, I guess. Yeah, I love that. I love the the flexibility of of religion and the flexibility of tradition. That's such a fun thing. When uh, I don't know, we can invite more people to that table with us. Yeah. Huh. Well, I mean, and I. I, I, there's still a lot of that that I, I have to really explore and think about because, you know, obviously you don't, you don't, there are, there are going to be changes that would be too much probably. Right. Right. And, and how do you figure out sort of what ends up being too much or sort of how do you figure out like, what, what do you need to do to kind of respect the previous tradition that you had and uh, what are, what are changes that kind of fit within that? It's, it's a very, it's a very weird puzzle that I don't really understand. I just feel like feel like this bread is is a good first step. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Uh, it seems like it'll pay off anyway. If you can if you can solve the bread problem, um, that's a good building block. It's super fascinating how you've worked out all those ideas around tradition. Um, what a neat thing. Well, on that note, let's uh, let's take a listen to the track. Arthur is at Shiva.
party last week to celebrate the end of the summer was the end of the evening then and we were out at a bar up in midtown jerry's feeling like chicken tonight and he ordered some wings from the waitress and then jerry and i traded shots at the bar it was the typical shenanigans but where's arthur now A strong mix of heroics and gin I was drunk in the evening then And that's when Arthur walks to the door He says, I was just in a shiver today For the death of a good friend of mine A towering figure in my early life He was an excellent specimen Hey Arthur, don't look away No need to hang your head in disarray You know that it's just well, um, maybe we can pivot back uh, to talking about one of your songs here for a minute. Um, sure. I was going to say, this is like one of my favorite songs on the album, but I think they're kind of all my favorite song on the album. But this one particularly sticks out to me because, um, man, you, th- there's this phrase that I think really that really catches your ear when you listen to it. Uh, it's the final song of the album, and it's called Super Kamio Kande. <laughs> and uh, I guess if you have no idea what that is, dear listeners, uh, Super Kamio Kande is a neutrino observatory that does a whole lot of science stuff. Um, I couldn't really tell you what it is, but um, <laughs> Andrew, maybe you can tell us in a minute. Uh, I love this song for a lot of reasons because at first it was just a cool song and I liked it. And then I I had to go look up what the Super Kamio Kande was. <laughs> and uh, I learned this. I just fell down this big rabbit hole of, uh, of great science things. <laughs> so among the things it does is that it detects like supernova in our galaxy. And uh, the cool thing about the song is that like you interpret this um, through this like very interesting religious lens, kind of mashing up the the science and the religion. Um, so you know, in, in your song, you describe it as uh, the this observatory as being a, a watchful eye that's like looking out for all of us. So I don't know. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about like how you've you've paired up science and religion in this song? And um, I don't know how how does that work out? Uh, so so I mean, I I'm really not. I'm really not a, a science person. Like, I mean, you know, I, I think science is cool and I, you know, I'll read like cool science articles and whatnot. Um, but uh, the, the, <laughs> the way that I got involved in it is that my former housemate, um, she, is now, she is now a professor of like particle physics at Oxford, uh, but she, she, <laughs> she studies, you know, particle physics and amongst them uh, neutrinos uh, and had, uh, introduced me to this one experiment in South Dakota, which is where I'd gone on my honeymoon, um, called the Homestake Experiment, where they, it's a very similar experiment to Super Kamio Kande, which is in Japan, where, you know, they use uh, just a lot of different chemistry and a lot of physics stuff to help detect neutrinos, which are apparently like next to impossible to to detect. Um, uh, you know, otherwise I would probably there would be no way that I could even write this song in the first place. Uh, but um, I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I it, it's not like I, I think, you know, you know, the, the song is not about how, you know, the Homestake experiment and Super Kamiokande will use neutrinos to detect God. You know, it's not not anything like that, <laughs> but it's it's more I, I think I think my, what it did was my, my experience going to the Homestake experiment was the the homestake experiment was very inspirational um i guess 
and I think I think the best way for me to kind of explain what was going through my head writing the song was that, you know, in like medieval times, <laughs> they built the cathedrals with the spires that pointed upwards, and you know the the effect of like going to the cathedrals and seeing the spires pointing upwards is that it gives people a lot of inspiration, and I I think. For, you know, for lack of a better word, you know, looking at space stuff, it really gives me that same feeling. <laughs> and going to the, the Homestake experiment and reading about Supercomio Conde, you know, they're, they're using neutrinos and like uh, studying them. They, it's possible that it might, you know, help people learn about dark matter and dark energy and like how how the entire universe is constructed and how, you know, what's going on with like all these galaxies, like very, very far away. I find that just even thinking about those kinds of things, it, it, I get a lot of the same feeling that I get when I see a cathedral and I see those spires. And so I think that that song, you know, when, when I think about, <laughs> I guess going back to the beginning, when I think about, what I don't necessarily like about modern pop rock praise music is that I don't I don't have that feeling. And so I think it was important to try. And I, I, I think that that song is probably the. The pinnacle, at least in the album of like that, that kind of that kind of emotion. And um, I wanted to use you know, Super Kamio Kande and, and those types of experiments and sort of thinking about space to try and provide that same kind of feeling. And in, in that ways, I, I think that, you know, that that's may, may, maybe that song sort of ends up being at least the best the best example that I have of of writing a praise mm -hmm. song, although it is, you know, it is very it is very abstract. Uh, well, I want to pick up on something you just said, actually, that I found really interesting. You mentioned uh, it's hard to find that feeling expressed in a lot of pop music. And I think that's right. And uh, it's a good excuse to ask you about your own kind of style and uh, how you've developed a, a way of expressing those um, uh, ideas and, and feelings or sentiments. Uh, you know, one thing I love about what you were what your music is like, well, my partner was asking me today at the dinner table, I was telling her, you know, we're going to record this this uh, episode with this, this uh, musician, his music's really neat. And she was like, Oh, what's it sound like? And I said, Well, I think you just have to play play it for you. Because everything that I'm saying doesn't sound exactly right. I was like, it's kind of like, <laughs> there's like some indie vibes in it, but it's not exactly indie music. There's some pop vibes in it, but I wouldn't call it pop music. Uh, Anyway, you know, the way that you sort of um, string together melodies and you have this kind of way of um, talking and singing at the same time and, and you pace this rhythm in an interesting way. Uh, how are you maybe developing, a, um, you know, a musical language to uh, put some some uh, expressive spin on these uh, feelings that you're uh, trying to convey in ways that maybe other pop musicians have a hard time uh, putting together? I mean, some of it's just that I do have I have a very weird musical background. Um, you know, I you know I I grew up as a concert violinist. I was I was a very good concert violinist. I won like national and international competitions in high school, um, and you know learned music theory and whatnot. And uh, when I got kind of reacquainted with music, 
um, in graduate school, because I, I kind of stopped around the, the college years, um, I started picking up jazz. I, I went to uh, jazz jam sessions that just kind of hung around with, you know, hard drinking, smoking jazz musicians in Columbus, Ohio for a while and like sang standards with them. And, you know, I got involved in karaoke and just, I, I have I have a list. I have a list of uh, over 500 songs that I can sing at karaoke. <laughs> it's complete. I have, I have a spreadsheet and it's got like a star rating with, you know, how well I think I, I sung each song. But I, I have, I do have a very <laughs> uh, extensive musical background and, and just a lot of skills that I can draw on in trying to write music i mean and it's something that i when i talk to other musicians it's something that i i i always say i mean i i think many musicians have a tendency that once especially if they get involved in a certain kind of music they there's a tendency to kind of poo poo other types of music and i've i've never really taken that approach i mean some of it was it, i was very fortunate to have received a very good musical education when I was younger, which kind of allowed me to learn more about other types of music in kind of a meaningful way. And I guess because of that, you know, it's, it's, I mean, like, you know, I don't think about all of those things when I'm trying to write. I just really want to, I have certain feelings and then I just want to find the best way that I can express them. And I guess I've been very fortunate that I have, I've been able to kind of develop a, a nice toolkit, a really expansive toolkit actually, <laughs> to try and uh, put things together and try to to say things in the way that I want to. Um, yeah, and and you know, it's I'll say like it's it's served me uh, pretty well. Like I, I do, you know, I have four different records where I talk about sort of a, a pretty wide variety of different things. Um, in this in this record, you know, in addition to just the the other experience, maybe you can maybe you can tell me what this is called. But a lot of my like melody and lyric writing, it's influenced by that one thing in church where the guy has like he's got like fifty syllables he's got to say, but there's like a oh. <laughs> like a set melody that he's got to like fit them in. You know, yeah, like chanting or sung liturgy, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's that, you know, da, 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 uh, that really da, makes da, sense, right? Yeah. <laughs> so like, I, I think, I think going to church and being involved in that, like that, that was an experience that really informed my my music writing, and like you will see aspects of that in in my writing, even though I hadn't really thought about it for a while, I just kind of ended up there, and I was like, oh, okay, huh. that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's super fascinating. I was always trying to describe how how like your singing works in songs, and uh, that might be the best way. That it's like <laughs> like at church when you're singing the psalms, and you gotta have you know too many words in there for the melody or something. That's great. I love it. That's such a good explanation. Well, um, I'm gonna gonna pivot the conversation one more time here. So on our podcast, we usually talk a lot more about politics than this, but it's fine that we're not. Uh, you know, it's actually nice to take a break. Um, but when we first started talking, you linked me a uh, a, a song from your uh, from an older album called "The Hungry Years," and the song itself is great. Um, I, I think it's fantastic. But 
There's also this accompanying video that really, I think, drew me in called Why I'm Joining the Democratic Socialists of America, which is like a, a sort of like a, a, a narrative that you're telling in tandem to the song with the like in, in video. Mm. So the, the video is this like uh, interesting diverging narrative that starts with the text. This last week, I received a sign from the Holy Spirit to join the Democratic Socialists of America. <laughs> and uh, first of all, it's a great, a great bold line. I'm telling people, <laughs> I'm telling all my Christian friends this all the time, that the Holy Spirit is telling them to do this. Not a lot of them have caught on yet, but that's okay. Um, anyways, I'd love to hear talking more about that video. Um, I don't know where, where does the narrative come from? You, you have, it, you know, it kind of centers around this whole DSA march in New York city and you have these like interesting imagery about these lions at the public library. So yeah, like what's going on in this video for you? Well, so the, uh, um, the video is, is really about coincidence and how coincidences are things that, you know, people take as signs of something much bigger in this case. You know, I, I try and write everything sort of from from real life as much as possible. Uh, but the conceit of the video is that I, I've gone on this march with the DSA you know, in support of uh, this housing movement, and uh, I've become kind of fascinated with you know it's it's taking place at the New York Public Library, and I've become fascinated with these lines that are in front of the library, and the coincidence because I talk about the lines quite a bit in the. Um, in the video, but it turns out, and this this was in fact a real coincidence. I didn't plan this at all, but the exact lion that I was filming for a fair bit of the video, uh, one of its previous names was Lord Lennox, and I was <laughs> like, "What the?" <laughs> uh, I, I just found that to be really shocking, and so like that that ended up being kind of. Um, Kind of an overarching narrative for for what was happening. I mean, I, it felt like it had to be a sign for something. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, I think in general the video is more about uh, finding a calling or inspiration, um, and how I think you know being brave, you know, is is th that and and embracing uh, revolutionary thinking. Uh, which refers to a line in the song. It's something that's very much um, a virtue uh, that is called for in a lot of situations, especially dealing with in, in uh, when dealing with bad people. Um, and you know, in the context of the song, the protagonist is thinking about how being brave and revolutionary is kind of a ne necessity in dealing with you know not having a lot of means. Uh, and having to kind of barely get by. And then, you know, in the video, um, the protagonist is kind of confronted with, you know, how shitty the world is, you know, and this is during the Trump years. Um, and because of how shitty everything is, um, he's kind of embarrassed because he doesn't really know how to deal with all of it. And uh, it's kind of through the act of going to uh, this march that he gets inspired uh, you know, seeing how brave the people are, and that's something that inspires him. And kind of figuratively for him, that means taking on the guise of the lion. In this case, you know, one of the lions in the uh, in front of the New York Public Library. Um, yeah, I mean that that's that's essentially what the the video is about. And I I will say, you know, I I don't I don't agree with everything that the DSA does. I agree with a lot of what what the DSA does, and I I'm. I'm still trying to be involved um, uh, in a way that 
that works for me and I, I want to be involved as much as possible. But I think I think what the DSA does very well, like when it's doing thing, you know, firing on all cylinders, it's it's doing something that gives people inspiration to kind of think and and hope about the future. And I think that's something that when 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 everything's working right, that's that's what they're doing. And I I, I find that I find that to be very I dig it. Uh, I think you're right. When they are firing on all cylinders, I mean, it's clearly a, a transformative experience. Everyone I've ever talked to who's a, uh, you know, a member of the DSA in a meaningful way, it's always kind of like, well, yeah, you know, the, the meetings are what they are. But it's like once you get in the street with a bunch of other people and you really get something done, you're like, all right, <laughs> this is this pays off um, in a meaningful way. Uh, well, as we're getting close to the end of our conversation here, do you want to make a plug for your new album and where can people find, uh, this work, other work? What's the best way, uh, that folks could support you and, uh, get a taste of what you got going on? Oh, well, I should, I mean, I guess in context, I should say definitely don't go to Spotify, uh, <laughs> <laughs> camp or, you know, some, <laughs> something else, uh, a little more friendly to artists. Uh, but I mean, you can find my my records anywhere. Uh, I have this new record, Ten Songs of Worship and Praise for Our Tumultuous Times, coming out on June 11th uh, on Don Giovanni Records. Really, I think I think it's great, and Don Giovanni does great work. They have a lot of queer uh, and uh, people of color artists uh, on the label. And I will say, you know, looking at the state of indie music, there are shockingly, shockingly few Asian American music acts and shockingly even fewer uh, Asian American male acts uh, on any sort of notable indie label. And so the, the fact that uh, Don Giovanni has, has allowed me to be on the label and, and release records is a great thing um, and great to sort of get some visibility out there. Um, so, yeah. June 11th, uh, and th there will be two other music videos coming out before the uh, before the record is released. The next, so there's the Arthur Zeta Shiva, which is the Begging Bread. Uh, there's uh, the Great Blue Heron, which is uh, it's going to be an extended interpretation of Song of Solomon, which you might find interesting. <laughs> For sure. uh, and then um, uh, Teenage Eyes. Teenage Eyes is the third single. Um, and the video for that will be uh, an extended discussion of um, death, philosophy, and Dungeons and Dragons. Nice. Nice. All right. <laughs> I'm here for it. <laughs> well, thanks so much for joining us. We'll make sure we uh, we link all of the all of the stuff in our our show notes, and we'll tweet it out and stuff on Twitter. Um, but yeah, we really appreciate you joining us for the hour and uh, oh, talking through your album with us. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's been a, been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Magnificast. If you like what you heard, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash TheMagnificast. Um, our music uh, this episode is all St. Lennox. All those great St. Lennox tunes you've been hearing this whole time. It's fantastic. Um, cool. And we're going to close the album out with uh, St. Lennox, The Hungry Years. It's the, the song we talked about at the sort of close of the episode. Uh, all right. We'll see you next week. Tower.
station wagon, cardboard, childhood then Gotta turn the AC to the rafters, boy Gotta turn the heater down to the floor We never had real nice things then, yeah Hand-me-down clothes and big jar of peanut butter She grew up in a war zone then With her army base stew and her rations in tins, hey You got your Christmas shopping at the discount store And imagination birthday holiday You gotta study every day, maybe be a doctor Gotta bring home the bacon to your wife We never got Air Jordans back then, yeah Homemade fast food, burgers on white bread She says it's better than the real thing, yeah But I know it's not the real thing she knows I know you gotta save every penny and dime You gotta save every minute and hour Dotson in the old days She says it's better than the real thing Boy, but I know it's not the real thing I know, she knows You gotta save every penny and time You gotta save every minute and hour A bunch of whiskey and a bulk supplier Got a houndstooth suit at the factory store Got the display model at the supermarket Got the bruise box discount vegetables She's got a coupon book for the end of time Got her three kids yelling in the back 